This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You are on Saturday Magazine with Nevena and Macca. We're so pleased to be joined by our next guest. Welcome to the studio, Professor Zachary Cooper. Good morning. So, Zachary, in the news recently, there was an incident involving the editing of a female MP's body, mm. and this was attributed to AI automation. Mm. Nine News, who produced the image, blamed the automation error on Photoshop. A response from Adobe, who make Photoshop, cast doubt on Nine's claim, according to the framing of multiple news outlets. They say any changes to this image would have required human intervention and approval. So, Professor Cooper, is gender discrimination inherent in AI models? If so, why is this the case? Well, I guess any kind of discrimination is essentially inherent to the models. That's essentially what the models do is that they discriminate. They're discriminating machines in that what you do is you feed them an enormous amount of data. You go, so let's say something like this, like an image, right? How does it even know what a woman looks like or give me a woman or make me a woman or make me a man? you got to feed it just billions of images and go, these are all women. And then what it does is it looks at all of the data that it has and it doesn't just have women. It's got dogs and children and anything you can think of. And then it has to discriminate through that data to find the data that it thinks is a woman. Well, how does it know what's a woman? We have to tell it. Well, how do we tell it? We've got billions of images. Well, we just get heaps and heaps of people all over the world. We paid them, you know, minimum wage or less than minimum wage to just sit there <laughs> just labeling en masse all over the world in Kenya or the Philippines. So, of course, you have all of, I mean, everything that we would have in terms of how would we label something comes down to how these people, people or how we have collectively how they've, in, how they've input it labeled things yeah. so what is a woman what does a woman look like so some people would look at a trans woman and go of course that's obviously a woman but maybe someone who's from a country where they don't have a big trans population would not label a trans woman mm -hmm. as a woman so already every single labeling decision is a political decision now then when you get down to something like okay what do two brothers look like how can you tell you're looking at a photo of two men standing next to each other are they brothers are they what are they? So all of these concepts, we have to go, well, what does that look like? So then suddenly you're going, well, what does a rich person look like? What does a poor person look like? What does someone who's in debt look like? What does someone who's in credit look like? All of a sudden, the machine becomes a reflection of all of the innate biases of what we think a rich person looks like. So you might write, oh, a rich person, maybe it's just going to keep spitting you out, whatever, old white people, because that's who we think of. If you write someone in poverty, you might be more likely to get someone who looks like they're of Indian descent. And so we've had issues with, uh, for example, when people ask for Asian women, if they want to like generate photos of Asian women, they're often far more sexual images, because for whatever reason, that's just how the biases have gone in. So built into these systems are all these innate biases. So probably what's happened here is they've gone uh, clean up this image of a woman and then it goes and it looks at all of these other women and it's found all these sexy women in there that everyone's gone, hey, this is a great idea of a woman. And then somewhere along the line, you've got this kind of like sexed up MP coming out because what happened? She had, her breasts were midriff, larger, yeah. right? And, and her midriff was, was shown. That's exactly. right. So, how do you, how do we get, get this, you know, get this right? If, I understand how that that works and how that happens. Yep. So the info, you know, the data that's being input, or, you know, what's being loaded in for, for to be cho you know to be chosen to modify or whatever. 
So this is really problematic, isn't it? Because if if I you know if I'm loading something in and my idea of what a uh, a good looking car is is completely different, <clears throat> perhaps to Paul or to you or to Nevena, and then when you we're all putting that in, you know the you know the intelligence has to decide what's best. Yeah, it's not going it, to it's never going to have enough to choose from, and it's never going to have the ability to make the choice that I agree with, but it might make the choice you agree with. Or that we collectively, some yeah. sort of collective subconscious. But then, of course, if we were if we were training these models 250 years ago, if you wrote person, it would not think that, you know, black people were people. So it's always mm. going to be a reflection of whatever horrible, you know, <laughs> social biases we have. So then the question becomes, well, do we want the do we want the machines to be more accurate or do we want them to be more fair? And if we want them to be more fair... What is what is that fairness? What is that? Then we have to start building in ideologies into the system. But how do we build these ideologies into the system? Because we don't have any kind of collective agreement about what we want things to look like. I think, well, really, what I what I think is fair is, and what you think is fair, is going to be different to what Vladimir Putin thinks is fair. Or you know, I, I mean, again, it's. This is the danger yeah. with, with AI, isn't it? Yeah. And then on top of that, we actually just don't know what these decisions are being made somewhere yeah. on the line because you have a scandal, right? So I think there was the classic one was there was an Asian student who used a AI system, put in a photo and said, make me more beautiful. And it made her white, right? Yes. Because clearly it looked through and everyone had labeled more white people beautiful. So that's what happened. Uh, you know, then the question becomes, well, exactly. Like, what are we going to how are we going to retrain this? And immediately, obviously, the company that makes that goes, oh, God, we need to change this. But we don't really know how they've changed it. So at the end of the day, these decisions aren't being made by some sort of, oh, let's all get together and like decide as a community how to change this. They're made by proprietary companies to algorithms that we don't see. Mm. So we don't actually understand what they're doing or whether it reflects any of our values. So, Zach, we've talked about some of the inherent biases in these modelling programs coming and reflecting not only the times that we live in, the material conditions of the workers who are training these machines. But now there's another element that we're seeing more and more of. So AI models are being used across the creative and advertising industry. How might they impact the industry's outputs and how might that in turn impact consumer behavior yeah. well so i mean yeah i mean that's a it's a huge question there's a there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of there's a lot of things you could get into there the the problem is right now it's there's a bit of a snake oil thing where everyone's going hey great can we just use this thing to like fire half of our workforce and then we can just get this thing to make our decisions for us. Maybe even Adman's going, great, maybe I can get rid of these 20 people and just use a bunch of algorithms to work out what people like the most and then automate the whole thing and then create this, you know, uh, then maybe we can get everyone out of here. And then the other thing that you see is, so, I mean, this Channel 9 example is a really good example because like the other big piece here is this liability question, is that the minute this thing's gone wrong, they've gone, ah, oh, it was the AI system's fault. And that's going to be a big issue with AI systems is people go on. Oh, now that we have this machine where we can just like feed things into the machine and then it can spit things out at the end, then does that mean we can go, hey, buddy, like I didn't do this. It's the machine did this, you know. So once they decide, oh, okay, uh, yeah, it was Adobe Photoshop. It's not me. And Adobe is right to go, well, the, the Adobe Photoshop's not going to change, give this woman a midriff by herself. What's going to happen there is someone is going to go spruce up this photo. Really, someone should be looking there to watch the woman get... You know, they should see how the woman changes and go, oh, that's not what I want. Uh, 
But once we hit a point of like, if we're just using this to automate everything, people are going to try to go, oh, actually, uh, it wasn't me. It was the machine. I don't want mm. any responsibility for this decision. So the machine, you know, we, we'll, we'll blame, you know, people will increasingly blame the technology. Yeah. But, you know, it's what's, it, it's what's been inputted to it that actually allow, and, the, and how the algorithms, algorithms are structured. I but mean, back on that as well, so as Zach said, it's not only what's been inputted, yeah. someone ex, uh, accepted that decision, which yes. is what um, Adobe was saying, it would have required human yeah. intervention and approval. Yeah, so you can't just, you know, Channel 9, oh, well, you know, it's Photoshop. Oh, okay. Oh, good. Okay, we're not responsible. Well, hang on. Actually, you are. So there's a lot of there's a lot of push from from governance to, or legislation to say we don't have anything in Australia, but at least in Europe, there's a lot of pushes for these kind of human in the loop stuff where you shouldn't be allowed to use, especially for more important decision making like employment or things like that that you shouldn't be able to have machines make these decisions. The fear is that this, even saying that, that you have to have a human in there, you have to have a human rubber stamp it, that all that's going to do is that we're just going to hire some person minimum wage mm. who's like the rubber stamp person. They sit there, they have to rubber stamp things. And then once something goes wrong or there's another scandal, you fire your mm. little minimum wage intern, you get a new one, you go, oh, it was the rubber stamp, I messed it up. So it's a big questions to like how we how we deal with this in terms of liability one thing i just like to delve a little bit more is how it's impacting not only from say a creative and advertising point of view the consumer behavior but now that i'm seeing online especially some images are indistinguishable from images with filters on them yeah. so let's uh, unpack the more social element of that young children who are going to not have that sense and don't have that comparison between this is an artificial image, mm. are they? how is that going to affect their development, especially, say, younger girls who are seeing these perfect images and say, I have all these disgusting things like skin and hair, I'm not perfect. <laughs> well, I mean, even on top of that, even it's, it won't even be images anymore because now with all these AI filters, even just you'll be able to spruce it up so when you just look at yourself on your phone before the images even come in, that it's an automatic filter, oh, right? God. So this notion is like, we'll all be talking to each other on Zoom already, we'll just all look absolutely immaculate. So uh, yeah, I mean, the, not the effect just on young girls, but the effect on all of us in mm. terms of starting to see just a hyper-sanitized, distorted world, which fundamentally is creating some sort of uh, synthetic reflection of current, you know, contemporary beauty standards of what they are now. And then the other fear is that it creates a sort of permaculture because once you're once you're just feeding back one notion of how people should look, you know, beauty standards yeah. or any kind of standard have changed across history. But once we all become obsessed with this one, and then the machine is just feeding that out, let's say all the advertising, everything is automating through AI, all of this stuff all the time that reflects our current beauty standards, well, then that trains the next model. Mm. So how does the next model ever learn a different notion of what is to, you know, what's going to look good or what doesn't look good? The role of artificial intelligence in political campaigning, yes, and the creation of videos and and such things. Often, wonder you know, uh, there's some Biden videos and things yes. going around. But I think of Donald Trump; it could only be artificial intelligence because he doesn't have any. <laughs> yeah. um, but this is really you know concerning, you know, particularly for well, not just for younger people, but people seeing this sort of content. Yeah. Um, that's really disturbing because, you know, we tend to rely on what we can see and what we can hear and what we can read. And when it's 
artificially created. I mean, that might be like an archaic thing that people will say about, you know, our generation that we used to have this sense of a a real reality versus, I mean, yeah, I wonder about this stuff. I do think that we're all just going to have to kind of, we're going to get used to this notion of like a completely synthetic digital reality wherein nothing is exactly a reflection. Unless you're actually speaking to the person in their presence, yes. face to face, yeah. even you know on a yeah, as a person, yeah, as opposed to you know even a Zoom, yeah. a Zoom calls frightening. But now we have you know, I mean, Google Glass was a disaster and they got rid of it. Yeah, no one wanted it, but they'll try it again in 10, 20 years. So yeah. before we're done, you're going to be getting little contact lenses where you're going to have augmented. So even then, you know. We'll see how long that that goes before. It might be within a couple of decades that you'll be sitting right in front of me and you'll have some little glass thing in your eye and I'll just look way more handsome. Than, oh, that's than, not possible, oh, Professor. <laughs> what, what, what about, you know, the future of academics? Yeah. To be replaced by artificial intelligence. Yeah. You know, you might be, you might be unemployed. He's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you have you got the job of imp- of, of yeah. deciding what goes in. What, well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, there's, obviously, there's a lot of good things about it. Like, I yeah. think a lot of like a lot of things that used to be, you know, I mean, I just think about like I've had friends that have gotten you know parking tickets or things like that. Yeah. There's so many parts of society where we try to lock people out of things because we have certain lexicons or certain vocabularies where you have to go hire a professional because they know how to talk the talk. But actually, all you really want to say is, hey, I don't, don't give you this parking ticket, but you need to get someone that can draft this in a way mm. that sounds legalese or whatever. Well, it's great for that stuff because all of a sudden you can go, hey, I want to get out of this parking ticket. Can you make me something that just sounds like I'm a lawyer that has any idea what I'm talking about? So that's the positive side is that it can create like false expertise for someone that mm. has a, knows what they want to say, but for whatever class reason has been like locked out of a certain thing where now they have to pay a professional to do it. Uh, we could, the, yeah, we could be replaced, Nev. Oh, never. They couldn't have the <laughs> charm and beauty and elegance that we bring to these microphones, Micah. Uh, so, Zach, all in all, uh, seeing is believing is going to be a concept yeah. of the past. I think so. Well, I mean, yeah, we're just going to have to find new ways to determine what we believe and what we understand to be true and how that's going to happen. And that's going to be a whole power grab between technology you know tech companies and government and yeah i mean the world is going to change massively mm. in a very short period of time would be my prediction but we'll all get through it somehow it's going to gonna, it's going <laughs> it's, it's to make us all a lot less believing yeah. and um you know dumb and dumber you know <laughs> Speak for yourself, Maka. We've been listening and speaking with Professor Zachary Cooper talking about AI, the ethics of AI and the particular conundrum we find ourselves in. Thank you for joining us on Saturday Magazine. Thank you so much. You are on Saturday Magazine, the land land of real intelligence. (laughs) This is Saturday Magazine. From the spectacular rooftop terrace to the multi-purpose theatrette, the Victorian Pride Centre is the perfect venue for your next corporate or community event. Whether you're organising a panel discussion, party, workshop or wedding, this unique space at the heart of St Kilda offers a welcoming atmosphere and premium amenities to ensure your event is a resounding success. To find out more info and book your next event, head to pridecentre.org.au, a Joy Community Service message. 
Midsummer Pride marches this Sunday. It's a signature celebration of pride and diversity with more than 10,000 people marching down Fitzroy Street in St Kilda to Katani Gardens. This year, to celebrate 30 years of joy, we will be live streaming the march from the Victorian Pride Centre. Watch the stream live at joy.org.au. Coverage starts on Sunday at 11am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. A Joy community service message. Australia's one and only Joy. You are on Saturday Magazine with Nevena, Macca, Zach, Paul and Paul and James on the desk. Macca, let's give our guests a big thank you today. It's been a big show and... Uh so much. We had a lot of Aspros, didn't we? We had a lot of Aspros. And an Aspro is an, an associate professor. <laughs> Allegedly. Not an Aspro. Um, so we had uh, Aspro Ben Phillips from ANU. Zach Cooper. You're, you're a professor. You're not an associate. I'm neither. Neither? <laughs> Get in there. No. Oh, sorry, Zach. <laughs> God. Uh, we also had Macca talking about his wonderful trick, trip to Singapore. Jesus, we're all falling apart here. Uh, we spoke with the new Disability Discrimination Commissioner, Rosemary Keys. The I in Us, a new show mm. starting on Joy on the 7th of February at 7pm. We spoke with Paul Byrne Maroney. Live in the studio, we have a feature coming up from Midsummer, How the Arts Strengthen LGBTI Voices in the Global South. We were joined by Luz and Margarita. We spoke with Matteo Vergani, PhD, Associate Professor at Deakin University, about the very real emotional and physical hate crime impact on victims. And 317 has just texted in and said, I wouldn't mind an AI version of Macca as host for Saturday Magazine. What do you think, Nevena? You could control what he says and we could tame him. I don't think we could, 317. I think he'd somehow break the machine. Good luck. Macca, what's on for your weekend? Um, well, I'm off to Sydney tomorrow, but uh, the Joy Broadcaster Pride March starts at 11am through to 2pm, and uh, some of it's going to be filmed, and that's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, Pride March is always an important event. Coming up on Word for Word, it's a new episode, Brian Cranston with uh, Lisa Dano Daniels. And it says here, not that Brian Cranston. Well, I don't know who the other one is. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Brian's life changed forever in June 2020 when his sister Karen was brutally murdered by her husband. Uh, within days when he moved from his newly renovated home in Harvey Bay to Rockhampton, where he now lives. Uh, a bit of a trigger warning with, with that. Uh, have a listen. Um, and if it does upset you, don't think you you have to listen. So, again, Joy membership, it is $84 individual. Concession is 42 Under 18 is 22 bucks. Family, including pets, wombats, greyhounds, kangaroos, <laughs> cats. Uh, there's others. There's, you know, not-for-profit, organisational and business membership. And the first one who joins a not-for-profit or an organisational business I will do a live read of your business, specifically tailored to your business. Just make sure you tell them I said that on air, then they'll make me do it. That's it, isn't it, Nevena? It is, and thank you, Zach, for joining us in the studio once again. And now we've got uh, the news. Have a good Pride March tomorrow. Hydrate, 
walk and remember when you walk in the Prime March, it's actually downhill, so it's a bit easier. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.